You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. There was a great scientific discovery, a great scientific discovery. And they finally discovered, I don't know if you heard this or not, but they finally discovered why that when you have just a few Cheerios left in your bowl, they discovered why those Cheerios come together. Isn't that wonderful? Finally, (laughs) finally, we know why that happens. It's called the Cheerio effect. But it, I guess it can happen if you, Fruit Loops, it works the same way. Uh, other cereals, it works the same way. But the effect is called the Cheerio effect. And a team of physicists, they were able to find out and understand the measurements and the phenomena around why that happens. Has anybody ever eaten a bowl of cereal, gotten to the end, there's a few pieces left, and you're chasing it around, and you're chasing a few around, they stay together? Well, basically what is happening is that the Cheerio is insufficient to break the milk surface tension. It's not heavy enough to break the tension, but it's enough to put a tiny dent in the surface of the milk in the bowl, such that if two Cheerios are sufficiently close together, they will naturally drift together and clump together. And that is why. That is why Cheerios come together. Isn't that profound? And it happens in nature, too, on ponds and lakes when pollens and Mosquito eggs and those kind of things, when they float, but they're not able to break the surface tension, they come together. As I considered the Cheerio effect, I also found, I also found this effect in human nature, and in particular, in gatherings and in friendships. Today on Friends Day... Many of you will drift towards the people most most like you. You'll interact with the same people you've always interacted with when you come to church. You'll talk to the same people, be with the same people, because you're comfortable with them. And you'll most likely sit over across the street in a group that is most comfortable for you because I would suppose, and I'm presenting today, we don't want to break the surface tension. <laughs> we, we go to what's easiest. It, it moves us out of our comfort zone a little bit. To talk to people we have never met before, or talk to people we perceive are not like us. Now think about your friends. 
who you're friends with. Why are you friends with them? Many of you are friends simply because of proximity. Like a Cheerio. You're friends with somebody because you're close to them, and that just kind of happens. You went to school together. You were in the same classes together. You're friends with people here in this church because you've went to church with them. You sit somewhat close. I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to know that even in a small room like this, there are people over here who do not know people over here, and you've been attending church for a long time together. But that's because it takes a little bit more effort to cross the pond. The surface tension causes you to meet the same people around you. Now, this is not an indictment, so you can take off the steel-toed boots and all of that stuff. I'm just saying, it's it's the human nature. We're friends with people because we're in close proximity to people. It's the people we work with, that we meet, that we become friends with. And this morning, I want to just simply entitle what I'm saying today, my friends. Who's your, who's your friends? Think about your friends today. Now, when we talk about friends, we talk about people who we hang out with, people we confide in, or have a bond of mutual affection. We realize that one of the telltale signs of friendship, how do you know if you're friends with somebody? It's when you eat with them. That's why we can't have Friends Day at the Calvary Church without food. Nothing is more difficult than eating with somebody you don't like. You're glad to make acquaintances with people, you talk to them, but your friends are the ones you invite out to eat. Now, interestingly, in the Bible, we find this reality. And in particular, Jesus Christ finds himself in environments where he's eating with people. And... In one particular instance, Jesus is eating at a man's house whose name was Levi. Now, what I need to do is take just a moment. I'm not going to speak very long, but I want to take a moment here and get you up to speed on the significance of Levi and, more importantly, what Levi did for a job and the cultural significance of that moment because it's going to matter as we unveil a few things. But first, we understand Jesus Christ was a Jew. And Jews at the time of Jesus were under the control of Romans who exacted taxes from them. And most often, they did this in a dishonest way. The Jewish religious leaders called Pharisees hated the tax collectors. Now, we have the IRS system. We, we have some people who work for the IRS in here, so I'm not going to blast the IRS in any way. I love the IRS. (Laughter) 
But tax collectors typically are not your friends. They're not the people you're inviting over to your house. And certainly in this day, it was even worse. It wasn't that they didn't like the tax collectors, like they, didn't, they were annoyed by them. No, they hated them. Hated them. And Pharisees in their religious pride would not be seen in any social setting whatsoever with a tax collector because they were literally the low of the lows. Of all occupations, they were considered the low of the low. They were considered dishonest. And yet, in Mark chapter 2, verse 15, we find Jesus in Levi's house. In Levi was a tax collector. Now, a side note, Levi was not only a tax collector, but Levi was a Jew, which made it a double whammy that he had went against his own culture, and he had, he had turned his back on his own people to become a tax collector. But now Jesus is in this house, and the Bible says he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? They understood that Jesus was a religious man. He was supposed to be a pious and a pure man. Why is he sitting down and eating with these tax collectors? In other words, why is he befriending these people? How could Jesus, being raised as a good Jew, be eating and befriending these people? It's egregious. This was the opposite of the Cheerio effect. He was definitely making a splash. The surface tension had been broken. But the question is, why? It's a good question, the Pharisees ask. It's an important one for us. Why was Jesus friends? Why was he eating with them? And here's the reality. What the Pharisees failed to realize and acknowledge is Jesus' purpose for being on the earth. And can I stop here and just tell you that when you realize your purpose in life, it'll change the way you live. You won't just do what everybody else is doing because everybody else is doing it. When you realize why you were created and what you were created for, it changes how you live. And certainly Jesus understood this. In Luke chapter 4, it gives us a picture of what Jesus understood. And the story in Luke chapter 4 is Jesus went into the synagogue, and as was the custom, they would read the law. They would read the Old Testament. And Jesus walked into this synagogue, and he was handed the book of Isaiah. And he was given it, and he found the place. He rolled out the scroll and found the place where it was written. And here's what was written in the book. It said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But then he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and everybody just looked at him. What did he just say? Something seemed different in the way that he read that. And this is what Jesus said. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I haven't come to just be with the rich. I haven't come to just be with those who have it all together and those who are free to live any way they want. He said, my purpose in life is to come to the poor, come to the brokenhearted, come to those who are captive, those who are blind. He said, I've come to bring them good news. I've come to offer them something better. So Jesus understood his purpose. So we read another account of Jesus in another setting in Luke chapter 19, and I'll read it quickly. It says, now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he sought to see Jesus who was but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. And yes, I relate with him in more than one way. (laughs) So he ran ahead. This short guy, Zacchaeus, runs ahead. He climbs up in the sycamore tree. And he wanted to see Jesus as he passed by. And when Jesus came to the place where he was in verse 5, said he looked up and he saw him. And he said to Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And so, verse 6, he made haste, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. But here we go again with these Pharisees. But when they saw it, in verse 7, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with the man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he is the son of Abraham. But watch what Jesus said. He's going to give us insight to why he came to earth. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus had come, not to come to those who were all put together, those who had it all together, had uh, their whole life measured, and they were doing great in life. No, he said, I'm coming to those who are desperate, those who are lost. Now, let me give you one more example. In Luke chapter 15, All the tax collectors and all the sinners drew near to him. Seems like Jesus has this following of tax collectors. And here the Pharisees and the scribes say again, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Why is he befriending them? So then Jesus spoke three parables. I'm not going to go into them, but some of you may be familiar. He gave three parables. One was of the lost sheep. There was 90 or 100 sheep. One of them was lost. And the shepherd went and found the sheep. And Jesus said, heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. Then he tells the story of a lost coin. About a coin that was lost in a house and a woman searches everywhere, finds it. And he says, heaven rejoices 
over one sinner who repents. And then he tells the story of a lost son. We refer to him sometimes as the prodigal son. And that son left, and as he came back, the father restored him back. And this is what the father said. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. He tells his older brother, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. See, what I understand today is when Jesus would say lost, he didn't see it as a term that was degrading or demeaning to people. What he meant by lost was it's something that has value because you don't lose trash. You don't lose the trash that flies out the window. You don't stop the car and pull over and find that trash. You should, though, if you're littering. Just saying. I think the chief's got an amen over here. All right. But what you do search for and what you do call lost is what's valuable to you. You call You call your keys lost. You call your jewelry lost. You call your kids lost. Why? Not as a demeaning term, but as a term to say you have value and I need you and I want you. And so here we find this dichotomy of terms. Jesus is calling them lost. The Pharisees are calling them sinners. And Jesus doesn't have a problem, I don't believe, with the term sinner. But what the Pharisees say by the term sinner is you are of no value. But let me help somebody today. When Jesus said the word sinner, he used it as a term of value. He said heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. One person who doesn't have everything put together. One person who would turn their heart back to me. They are valuable to me. And so here is what I understand today. I am a sinner. Romans 3.23 tells me that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But sinner is not meant to be a term that is a term just of judgment and a term that demeans and a a term that just casts down. But today I accept that term sinner because of what it means to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so today, Jesus is inviting not those who are whole, not those who have it all together. He's inviting those that would recognize, you know what? I am broken. I am poor. I am blind. Those are the people that Jesus came to save. He invites us to friendship with him, not because we're good. Jesus doesn't invite us to be his friend because we're good. He doesn't invite us to be his friend because we're talented or we have a lot of money in the bank or because uh, uh, of any other thing other than 
And here's what I want you to understand. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. How valuable? Romans 5, 6 tells us, but when we were without, still without strength, in due time, Christ died for who? The put together? No. Those who were healed? No. Those who had a lot of money? No. He said, Christ died for the ungodly. And he says this, he puts it in this context, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much value he put in you. Your value to God is not what you bring to the table. Your value to God is not your money that you bring to the table. It's not your good works that you bring to the table. The scripture tells us that our good works are as filthy rags to God. But what God wants is our heart. What he wants is our life. And he will fix everything else. So I don't care if you walked into here today and you feel like a sinner. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. We're all sinners. We've all walked in here today needing the grace and needing the mercy of God. All of us had to come to a point where we repented of our sins and we said we were sorry. All of us have a need to be water baptized in Jesus' name. For why? The forgiveness of our sins. All of us need his spirit in our life that allows us to live a life that we couldn't live without it. All of us stand here today realizing we need God. What I love about Jesus Christ is he invites us to friendship, not because of how great we are, not because of how good we are, but simply that he loved humanity so much that he would die on a cross to save us from our sins. Would you stand with me this morning? What Jesus did is the opposite of the Cheerio effect. He broke the surface tension and he invites us into a relationship with him. I love Proverbs chapter 17, 17. I have to confess as just a mortal, it's a tough one to read. But when you understand the context of who Jesus was, Proverbs chapter 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Who can love at all times? Are you capable? I know I'm not capable. Anybody ever been mad at a friend? Anybody ever cut off a friendship? Probably everybody in this room has cut off a friendship. But a friend loves at all times. In the good days, in the bad days, 
in the sad days, in the happy days. And we get so disappointed with ourselves. We get so disappointed. We fail God and we are afraid sometimes to approach God. Some of you, it might have been a big deal for you to walk into a church building today because you don't feel worthy to walk into a church building today. We get disappointed with ourselves, but can I tell you that God loves us while we were sinners. He doesn't love us after we are sinners, after we are no longer sinners. He loved us while we were sinners. He loves you, and let me say this statement, just as you are. But he doesn't want to leave you just as you are. But he wants you to be transformed into his image. And I conclude today with this passage. And I'm not sure your perspective of God, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or are serving him with all your heart, Proverbs 18, 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I tell you today, that friend is Jesus Christ. He wants to sit with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be in every aspect of your life. In a moment, I'm going to invite those who want our pastoral team to pray for you. We want to invite you to come, but I want to pray for you in this moment. I don't know how you view God. I don't know how you view Jesus Christ, but I'm here to tell you today that he loves you, he cares about you, and he wants to be your friend. He wants to talk with you and sit with you. God, I pray in this moment Lord, that your presence would be made manifest in this room to us today. God, there are some that walked in here today that don't feel worthy to be in this room. When they look at their life, they look what they've done, they look even what has happened this week. God, they're not sure if you could love them, if you could care about them you would forgive them. But Lord, we know through your word today that you sat with sinners. You sat with tax collectors. You sat with those who were hated, those who were poor and blind, those who were captive by all kinds of addictions and things. You sat with them. God, you reached out to them. While they were still sinners, you died. God, I thank you for that realization today. I thank you for the hope that we have in you when we put our faith and we put our confidence in you. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. 
Until next time, thanks for listening.